Hello and welcome to episode 275 of the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm uh, Manny Manuel. Last week we kicked off uh, the restarting of our 1997 miniseries. Yeah. So we did a first pass on 97 some years ago. Missed a bunch of good ones. So last week we covered Contact. Had a lot of fun. That, we did. We had a pretty in-depth conversation about Contact, I think. There was a lot to say. There was. Uh, it's always the movies where uh, it's mostly pretty good but there are some holes uh-huh. that i feel like i take a little extra care to make sure those holes are are noted All i don't right. know it felt, it felt like it took some uh, there was there was discussion on both sides last week and it made maybe some good fun maybe yeah some good conversation i agree yeah uh this week talking about boogie nights yeah uh speaking of like you know you want to talk about good ones that we missed last time around i can't believe we tried to have a series about 1997 and didn't talk about this which I mean, I, I've, I'll tell you right now. I've seen this movie several times already. Um, I think you probably have as well. Yes. And I just can't believe that this feels like one of the big important ones from '97. Agreed. Uh, Agreed. The reason that we did miss it, of course, is that we weren't doing anything other than the Best Picture nominees at the time. Right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. And this was not nominated for Best Picture. I think it. I think we we did cover this, but I think it wasn't until '94. Yeah, because 96 was kind of a weak year anyway. Okay, so... so I think no, 95, because we did 7 in 95, right? Okay, yeah, so 95, so 96, we didn't really cover anything. Yeah, we did, no, like, we English did 90, patient. Yeah. Sorry, I keep cutting you off. Please go ahead. I was just going to say, like, I remember 96 doing, uh, like, Fargo and The English Patient, but I don't remember doing The Birdcage. Yeah, we didn't. We did. Yeah. We did 96. We did 97, the five best picture nominees and then that closed out our we finished at episode 98 and then we got into our top 20 of all time right then we got into then it was star wars then 96 then uh we did uh a a few other films then we did our harry potter right and then yeah then we did spider-man then we did back to the future so yeah it was fewer fewer series these days on franchises it looks like there's only really so many you can do especially when we're going back and doing the years and i mean like each of these installments is going to have each of these years is going to have a couple of these little franchise installments in there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i did have a long-term plan for franchises but that's just not i'm not following through on that anymore long term I did, yeah, whatever. I won't talk about it on air, but it's just not gonna work out. But instead, uh, we we decided we would like to go back to the years that we did already cover, and select through some ones that mean something to us, or are culturally significant, or and because we started the tradition, are awfully bad. That's why we cover the Razzie winners now, which makes for uh, an enjoyable. 
uh, foray into some bad films. Somewhat. Somewhat. <laughs> I like them. No, they're good. I have a lot of fun with them. I'm just joshing. So, of course, we're in 97, so this film is at the top of the ones we had to cover, and that is Boogie Nights. Released October 31st, 1997, written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, starring Mark Wahlberg, Julianne Moore, and Burt Reynolds, has a meta score of 86, letterbox score of 4.2, and had three Oscar nominations, uh, not winning any, but the nominations that year were for Best Supporting Actor for Burt Reynolds, Best Supporting Actress for Julianne Moore, and Best Original Screenplay. It had a budget of $15 million. It uh, made $26 million, uh, that year, uh, making it the 79th highest grossing film of the year. Too bad it wasn't 69th, but whatever. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> In my head, I thought this was a bigger hit at the time. No, no. Uh, and then it grows 43 worldwide. Uh, the plot, back when sex was safe, pleasure was a business, and business was booming. Or should I say business was a booming? Yeah. There you go. That was for you. <laughs> was for you. Uh, an idealistic porn producer aspires to elevate his craft to an art when he discovers a hot young talent. Now, Manny, I'll uh, briefly, before we go any further, do we want to acknowledge anything here on the changes to the format we talked about before, uh, or do we just want to say... We definitely should have before we got there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so we can quickly discuss it here. We should mention at the top. We have decided to try an experiment with our episodes, splitting them up into two separate episodes. We did our uh, cinematic chit chat earlier on this week yeah and we're now going to separate them into two sections uh whatever we decide to call the first one and then our main review will be its own episode to make this more digestible for people uh seeing a large three-hour podcast was definitely daunting for a lot of people and a lot of my friends have told me that they see that and they're just like there's no way i could sit through that and that's understandable. Which is funny because people also, uh, I think people think the same about like TV shows. Yep. Like people will watch a TV show for five hours, mm-hmm. but they won't watch a three-hour movie. Yes. <laughs> I know. Isn't that fucked up? Yeah, it's funny. I think it's just because they think that they can get out at any time. There's like natural stopping points. Yes. And there's like little checkpoints they can yep. get to. But uh, yeah, I've always found that funny. It's. I'm with you. And I mean, I'm a, kind of a hypocrite because, I mean, I don't listen to the podcast. I experience it once and, you know, that's enough time out of my week. And <laughs> <laughs> even though I enjoy the crap out of it, yep. um, you know, I, I don't listen back to the podcast. So I can't really criticize people for not taking, you know, X amount of hours out of their week mm-hmm. every week. But but, those do but, it's, ne- but it's never it's never really bothered me. It's never like I listen. I do listen to long podcasts. Same as do I. And like I said, it's it's never bothered me. And Sam and I have no... We've n- we never had aspirations for this to be some type of huge moneymaker or anything like that, and we are nowhere close to being able to monetize no. with our listener with our listener base, who we love. Shout out to the PFGs. Shout out to the PFGs. If you're not a PFG and you listen to this, I would love to hear from you. That would be ecstatic for me to know that someone other than Francis is listening to the- <laughs> God, For those that don't know that reference, listen to the last to episode. Listen yeah. to the last episode, not the contact episode, the uh, cinematic chit chat episode. I don't even know what the fuck we're calling it. I keep calling it that because it's the only thing I can think of. Uh, listen to that to get that joke. But yeah, if you're not a PFG uh, and you're listening to this, I would love to hear from you. It would it would tickle me pink to know that someone outside of our PFG group is actually listening to this. Mm-hmm. That being said, uh, that's the reason – well, it's part of the reason we're splitting it up to give people an option 
on, on what they want to listen to. Some people might want to only listen to the things that we've been watching and just skip over the review. So this gives them that chance. And some people, uh, like, I'll be honest, when I listen back to reviews that I want to re-listen to, I skip over the first part of the show. Mm-hmm. I don't want to... I don't want to listen to that part again because that part doesn't interest me. Us breaking down the movie is what interests me mm-hmm. when I'm listening back. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So like we said uh, in the last episode, uh, let us know what you think of our experiment. We're going to do it for, I don't know, five or six episodes, see how we feel. And we would love to hear what you guys think of it. That being said, let's get into our review. Sam, why don't you give us your spoiler-free thoughts on Boogie Nights? Yeah, so as I mentioned off the top, uh, I've seen this movie probably three or four times now. Uh, I watched it for the first time probably shortly after I was in high school. I went through a bit of a phase when I was like 18, 19, 20 years old where a lot of my free time was spent watching movies, and this was one that was consumed in that time. Nice. Uh, When I just kind of first started getting into film, I had heard this was really good. Um, I was a fan of There Will Be Blood even before that phase. So I'd been uh, exposed to Paul Thomas Anderson's work. Um, So um, I watched There Will Be Blood, loved it, and thought this is a masterpiece and I want to experience more of this man's work. And then sure enough, I went on to Boogie Nights and loved it as well. Um, Having watched two masterpieces of his, (laughs) I would go on at a later, at a much later date to recommend the master blind to my friends. That's a bit of an oversimplification, but uh, I went on to select what, what would become the most unpopular movie in our movie club's history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The master, I'd never seen it before. I, I picked it solely off of uh, the fact that it was a Paul Thomas Anderson movie that was very highly regarded that I hadn't seen. And, uh, yeah, it did not go over well. Regardless, um, I have been aching to revisit this a little bit. Um, I think there are moments that are uncomfortable in this movie. I'm just going to get that out of the way right now. There's some parts that I don't think have aged particularly well, especially after having watched another Paul Thomas Anderson movie, which is Licorice Pizza, um, which I gave a lukewarm review on when I watched it last uh-huh. year. Um, one of the things I found fault with in that movie um, was simply that I don't, really know why the film was improved by the male protagonist in that being underage being 17 and the female love interest being somewhere if memory serves in her late 20s um i didn't really know why that made the film better so after having seen that paul thomas anderson movie and then coming back to boogie nights where there's a very similar theme of an older woman falling in love with an underage boy uh, or me falling in love is a stretch. Um, that's a big stretch. That's a stretch. But having a uh, having a having a relationship with a having a relationship of some kind. With a, we'll get into the specifics when we get into spoiler. Okay. But just seeing those parallels, I was like, man, is just is this just a thing for Paul Thomas Anderson? Like, what is this? So that was a bit of a strange thing for me to to see upon rewatch. We can talk about that. Um, anyway, um, there there are reasons why this movie. Why I shouldn't like it, I think. Um, one of which is, I don't think anybody really learns anything or changes in this movie. I think everybody kind of stays the same. If you look at where they are at the beginning and where they are at the end, everybody. Nope. The arc is, I, <laughs> I am this way. I go on a journey. Life sucks for a little bit, and then I'm, I am the way that I am. And I mean, 
that can be a good thing. That can be a bad thing. Um, I tend knowing my own taste in movies. I tend to like movies where people change and learn things just knowing my own taste in movies. So I shouldn't really be predisposed to like this movie. I don't think, but something about it is just so charming. Uh, it could be the fact that every performance in this movie is exceptional. <laughs> it could be the fact that Burt Reynolds, uh, Mark Wahlberg, Julianne Moore, uh, William H. Macy, John C. Riley, the entire cast is just great. Uh, it could be the fact that on a technical level, the costuming, the sets, the cinematography, the wonners, the dance numbers are all spectacular. It could be the fact that the soundtrack is so lively and fun. It could be that this movie is colorful and beautiful. Uh, it could be any number of those things. Uh, it is a spectacularly well-made movie, and it upsets me a little bit to hear that it only did as well as you said it did uh at the box office um that it wasn't really wasn't really a hit at the time that i thought it was um to date this is one of the two paul thomas anderson movies that i've seen that i think on a technical level are masterpieces some people put the master into that category they do i do not <laughs> i'm not one of those people um yeah so i was i was aching to revisit this i there was a part of me that wondered if I was if I would like it less. I don't think that I did. There are reasons why there's a logical part of my head somewhere back there saying like you shouldn't like this as much as you do. But I do. I just do. And I can't help it. All so right. there it is. Perfect. This movie found new life on home video. Everybody had heard about it and it was so critically praised that I don't I don't know of anybody personally that saw this in theaters and but everybody I know that was my age has seen this movie and that's because it was massive on home video. I had heard the rumblings uh, of Paul Thomas Anderson and the arrival of this movie and the reception it got. The sad thing for Paul Thomas Anderson is that this movie comes out the same year as Titanic. Uh, also the same year as Good Will Hunting. Mm -hmm. And so it, this movie gets completely overshadowed by a absolutely technical and cultural superpower. And then it's kind of, we'll talk about noms and nods, but it loses out its one category it could possibly win at, which is screenplay. It loses out to the steamroller of Matt and Ben. Mm -hmm. uh, so... This movie is a masterpiece. Everything you said is true. There's not a weak part, a not a weak technical part of this film. There's one part of this movie that I'm not the hugest fan of, but the latest rewatch has softened my stance on that, which I'll get into. Very curious to know what that is. Yeah. It probably, I have it. Suspect I might know what it I, is. You but. probably do. I was really excited to do this review with you. In my head, this is actually this is the movie I thought we were going to end the miniseries on because we always end on the best picture winner. Mm -hmm. So I thought this is what we we're going to end on. But we really wanted to get this one under your belt before you got too busy. Yeah. So December's going to be nuts. Yeah, December's going to be nuts. So head heads up to the PFGs. <laughs> might be some phone calls coming. Uh, I'm super pumped to break down this movie with you, so why don't we get into that right Let's away? Let's do it.
why don't you take us in the spoiler zone? Boogie Nights, if you haven't seen it, you should. Glowing reviews from both of us. We're about to spoil it. Did our best not to. Uh, here's your last warning. Three, two, one. Go fuck yourself. What's your first scene, Sammy? I have uh, Dirk's domestic dispute with his mom. Okay, I've got you beat. I've got, I've got you beat. Uh, I've got the opening. Yeah. The, the first one or into the club. The three and a half minute steady cam shot. Also exceptional. Yeah. <laughs> it's. I have fuck. I meant to mention this in uh, non-spoiler, so I'm gonna mention it now because this is obviously plays into that. This is the first time I've watched this movie so closely to having watched Goodfellas. Very Goodfellas-y, right? All the oneers, the oneer into the club. That's like a, it's a direct score. It's, is it an homage or is it a ripoff? He, Paul Thomas Anderson himself calls it a ripoff. Okay. Uh, it's obviously an homage. He's saying ripoff because he's trying to be polite, but it's an homage. It's an homage to a lot. There's this movie. I'm, I'm sorry. And if people want to get mad at me, I don't, I don't give a fuck. This movie does not exist without Goodfellas. This movie is literally Goodfellas. At the end of the movie, Henry Hill has not changed. Mm-hmm. The only thing that's changed is, is his circumstance. That's, that's true. it. He's still the exact same person. Mm-hmm. This movie is – this is Goodfellas in the porn industry with less killing. That's literally – Some killing. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> just, just not as much. Uh, like I could not believe – how much this movie owes to Goodfellas. Like, everything. Everything. Sure. I Yeah, 100% it does. And let's... But like, if you're going to be compared to a film and you're going to compare yourself to Goodfellas, like, that's... I'm, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. So, this opening Steadicam shot, the one difference between this and Scorsese is it starts on a crane, and at one point, the Steadicam operator just steps off the crane and then follows people around. It is a beautiful, beautiful unbroken shot. Uh, as we meet, what, 80% of the characters in the movie? Yeah, basically everybody but Dirk. It ends on Dirk. Oh, does it end on Dirk? It ends Is on Dirk. Is that still the same shot? Yes. Fuck me, yeah, okay. Yeah, it ends on Dirk, and then it also... The only people that we don't meet of any significance is in the shot we don't see the colonel, and we don't meet Scotty J, and that's yeah. it. Everyone else we see. That's of important. And they both well, get introduced at the pool party, I think. Yeah, and Todd Parker, if you want to... Yeah. Uh, it's just even in this one three and a half minute unbroken shot we learn almost everything we need to know about these characters basically there's some couple nuances like we don't quite learn all we need to know about Amber Waves quite yet but we learn a lot about Little Bill we learn about Jack we learn about Roller Girl <laughs> we learn about uh, I was going to say I can't remember his character's name it's Luis Guzman. Yeah. It's just brilliant filmmaking, and it's a great way to open the movie. Yeah. I, uh, I name-dropped Luis Guzman in the last – or, sorry, uh, name-dropped Community in the last episode. Yeah. Um, and they have a whole recurring bit about Luis Guzman. Uh, the, the community college is consistently made fun of for being very uh, low budget, for being a kind of poor quality of education. Um. And I guess the writers wanted one famous alumnus, but somebody not too famous. <laughs> they wanted the school to have produced one 
reasonable tier celebrity that the, and it's Louis Guzman. That and fucking so the, rules. So the school has a Louis Guzman statue in the courtyard because <laughs> he's like the one famous person from their school who went on to do anything, and he's in, he's in a couple episodes. It's really funny. I I'm a huge <laughs> Louis Guzman fan. Yeah, like I love him, especially in Waiting. I love him in Waiting. Yeah. Have you seen Waiting? I've seen Waiting once. Okay. Long time ago. I Probably fuck. 2012. Ugh. I love... Come on, baby. <laughs> I fucking love him. Yeah. Oh, it's so veiny. <laughs> I love you, Luis Guzman. Uh, all right. Uh, so you have... I have the domestic dispute with his mom. That's after the pool party? No, that's before. It's before? It's before the pool party. Oh, right. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I. This is kind of the first display of acting we get from mark Wahlberg. Mm-hmm. um i think it's pretty good i disagree yeah you don't think so it's that's, not that's, that's the weak point yeah it's like uh i'm gonna be somebody that like it's uh it's he's not there yet i don't even know if he's there now actually it's it's mostly i think it's mostly fine it's never really bothered me i know that this gets listed as like a bad scene it gets listed as a poorly acted scene by a lot of people yep um, i'm one of those people maybe it's just because i've seen I, I live in the post Mark Wahlberg world. Like I, this was not my introduction to him as it was for much of America. Um, at least it wasn't my introduction to him as an actor. I know that he was known as a musician before that. That's um, a stretch. Music, <laughs> he was known as he was a performer. M- musician. Yeah. <laughs> Using that term generously. Yeah. He was the front man for Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Manny, hey, good vibrations only on this podcast, please. Okay, you don't need to be so negative about it. <laughs> I'm, op- I'm opening the show with that song now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You should. I'm not. <laughs> How about I end it? Okay, we'll see. Yeah, there's actually, there's, I would, I would genuinely ask you to do that if there wasn't so much good music in this movie already. Um, but yeah, like this gets listed as a consistently, consistently listed as a bad scene or badly acted scene, maybe. Um, for some reason, it's never really bothered me. It's never really stuck out like a sore thumb to me like it has to many other people. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. Maybe it's just because I this was not my introduction to Mark Wahlberg. So to me, this is just kind of how he acts. This is just kind of how he talks. Mm-hmm. It's in his cadence. Um, but uh, yeah, for some reason, it never really bothered me. But obviously, obviously, it did for you. Yeah. 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 And you said this is the moment that uh, that you don't like in this movie, or that you uh, traditionally have not really liked in this movie. Yeah, Mark Wahlberg is the weak point for this movie mm. for me. Yeah, I think he's at times actively bad. Oh wow. Uh, he, I heard earlier, not here, else, he got nominated for two Oscars. Oh, he did get nominated for that. He got nominated for, I know, he got nominated for a movie that I love in a role that I love, uh, but he did not deserve the nomination. That is Sergeant Johnny Dignam in, uh, The Departed. Yeah. (laughs) Terrible nomination. (laughs) Absolutely terrible. The other nomination is actually worthy, and I was racking my brain trying to remember what it was. And now that I see it, I'm like, oh yeah, he definitely deserved it. I don't think I know it. It's the fighter. Oh yeah, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, he's really fucking good in it. I yeah. can't. I can't believe I didn't know that. Hmm. I couldn't remember that. I heard it. and I was like, that can't be fucking right. Hmm. Interesting. Um, the oh, hold on, where is it? Oh, right there. Um, the woman playing his mother, Joanna Gleason. I recognize her. Uh, I'm almost positive. I'm just gonna look it up right now. I'm pretty sure she's the uh senator at the end of um mr holland's opus oh shit yep it is 
Yeah, a... she plays adult Gertrude. So she's the one that makes the speech to begin the ceremony. I feel like I know her from somewhere else. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see here. Uh, small role on Friends. Who is she on Friends? Oh, she, uh, it wasn't recurring. It looks like it's only one episode. Oh. Uh, where is it? Uh, ninety nine. Maybe that's maybe that's why I recognize her. Quasi. Oh, uh, I think. I don't think that's where I recognize her from, but I think she's one of um Rachel's coworkers. Okay. Yes, she is. Yeah. Yes, she is. Yeah, she's the one. Uh, they're always going off to the smoke pit. Yep. Yeah. That is her. Man, brains are weird sometimes. Can't remember something that somebody told me yesterday, but I can remember that episode of Friends from 1999. Interesting. Weird. She must have a good relationship with Sorkin because she was on the newsroom and the West Wing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, other than that, from movies, I don't think uh, don't think I know her from anything else. Okay. Yeah, not a fan of this scene. Yeah, it's fine. I I like it. Um, it I... I did want to bring it up because I know that this is, I know that this is a sticking point. This scene in particular is a sticking point for a lot of people. I've yep. seen talk about this movie. Yep. I don't, I don't really get it. It just feels like it's Mark Wahlberg. Maybe, maybe that is the problem. Maybe the fact that I'm seeing Mark Wahlberg here and not either Dirk Diggler or Eddie, whatever his name is. At the beginning Adams. Of the movie. Eddie Adams. Maybe the fact that I'm seeing Mark Wahlberg instead of Eddie Adams is a problem. For some reason, it's never really bothered me. I don't okay. Know. I respectfully disagree. Okay. Fair enough. Um, his mom's a total bitch. The woman playing his mom is—you yep. can feel the insecurity leaking out of her. And she's like, "That—that that woman's a whore. You can't hang out with her. Um, you'll never get anything with a woman like that." Just like bringing down this poor girl she doesn't even know yeah. that we see once in the movie, and she barely has any lines. And she's just like, "I know everything about this girl because she's a whore. Because she's a tramp. And it just doesn't make any sense." <laughs> what if? What if? Dirk's mom actually does know a lot about this girl, and we're just sticking up for her because she's such a bitch. But in fact, that that girl is a whore, yeah, like, and she is a complete piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's this article from the Onion that I saw a long time ago. For those who don't know, it's a satirical news website. It makes up fake headlines. <laughs> it's like devastating colon the worst person you know just made a great point. <laughs> kind of be like that. Um, yeah, she's uh, she's super mean in the scene the other reason i wanted to bring this up actually is there's a great edit was this nominated for editing no no it wasn't oh man there's so much great editing in this film uh-huh. and this is one of the great edits in this movie um is the shot of the dad it is the shot of the dad's great how they just cut to the kitchen of him being complete a complete passenger where he should be sticking up for his son but he's just a complete bystander in the kitchen um terrible um but it's the shot of uh marky mark leaving the house uh, and it's very dark and dingy, and uh, his mom's standing in the doorway and sl- and comes out of the doorway for a second and then slams the door, and we cut to Jack opening the door at his house in the sunshine, beautiful sunny outdoors. She's got a scowl on her face. He's got a smile on his face. So we go from the dark cut of the mean woman with the scowl closing the door to Jack with a huge smile opening the door, welcoming him in. And the door closes, another one opens, it's, my friend. It's a beautiful little little editing choice. I really, really like it. Um, so yeah, that's that's scene number one for me. I just, I think he, I think he's bad. <laughs> I think he's bad. Okay. Yeah. That's fine. That's yeah. fine. Awesome. Uh, so I have the pool party uh, mm-hmm. as my next scene, which I would assume... Yep. Okay. Uh, I definitely cheated. 
with the pool party. I'm going the whole fucking thing. It's a long pool party. Yeah, so I'm cheating to get in some stuff I like. Um, this is where Eddie meets everybody. Uh, this is also because this includes so much. That's the reason I'm including all of this. Eddie meeting Reed. Uh, instant best friends. Yeah. Instant best friends. Instantly turns into a pissing contest too. Yep. But who can who can lift more and who can drink more and who yep. can do flips off the diving board better it's great uh we meet the colonel who is the, the money man behind all of these exotic film endeavors uh he's played by robert ridgely and i fucking love the colonel until the end yep uh, yep uh <laughs> might be my favorite pederast of all time i don't know <laughs> <laughs> oh man sorry to the headphone users that's yeah that was probably pretty loud but Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, incredible cinematography here. As it moves from conversation to conversation, you start in, you have uh, Buck Swope, and I can't remember. Uh, is it Cindy? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, oh. <coughs> Sorry, everybody. Uh, darn, she, uh, where is it? Uh, is it Becky? Becky, thank you. Yeah. Becky Barnett. Becky Barnett, thank you. We get Becky and uh, Buck's conversation, and then it slides over uh, to Luis Guzman, and I think it's Amber or could be Roller Girl talking. Uh, and we just, uh, yeah, it's more uh, Maurice. Am- Maurice and talk, and Maurice is trying to work his way into be- into getting into a movie, and I I love when it actually yeah. happens. And yeah, we see him later on in the movie. It's yeah. funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we cut away to Reed and Eddie still competing uh, in the in the pool, mm-hmm. and then we get to the highlight of the pool party for me, and that's the OD. Uh, <laughs> the Colonel, fucking rules, mm-hmm. absolutely fucking rules. He just makes a um, complete mockery of the entire situation. I think she took too much coke. Oh, you think so, Doctor? <laughs> so fucking good. <laughs> so fucking condescending he is incredible we also um we also sadly get a reminder of what we lost as we meet uh philip seymour hoffman as scotty J. just once again absolutely destroying everyone on screen when he's there in a movie full of great side characters uh he's maybe one of the best yeah i love this character so much It, it, it philip seymour hoffman is an actor we are just so sorely missing that we're just missing out on another couple decades of incredible performances. The the oral fixation that this character has, he's constantly got like a pen in his mouth that he's kind of chewing on or something, is so good. Uh, instantly falls in love with Eddie, uh-huh. like instant, like love at first sight. What do we? There's a there's a word for the kind of shot that he has, um, like. From his when we when we cut to his POV, um, instead of a zoom in on Dirk, it's keyhole. Maybe that might be what it's called. It's like a there's I think there's another word for it. A keyhole might be the scope shape or something. Scope. Yeah, because it reminds me of like a sniper scope yeah, shot, except sure. without the crosshairs. Yeah, there's there's some other word I'm gonna have to dig in the back of my head for. I don't think either of those are the word I'm thinking of, but I think they're both correct. Yeah, I think they're both. I do, I key, definitely don't know the keyhole is probably what I would call it for now, but there's some other. Oh, um, vignette? Is vignette? No. No? No. No, no. A vignette is a series of... Shit. Okay, yeah. then I don't remember. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, but I know what you're talking about. It, the, the 
the edges of the screen black out and yeah. it centers in on Eddie. Instead of going for a zoom, which is normally you would get a zoom here for sure. Yep. Um, interesting choice. We, uh, Eddie uh, meets the colonel. The colonel asks to see his cock. And uh, his... The casual nature that he, uh, he's like, hey, say, Jack says you got a great big cock. May yeah, I see it? Yeah, I see it. <laughs> and then he just stares at it dumbfounded. Thank you, Eddie. <laughs> The pool party is a tour de force scene. Mm-hmm. And while it, it's definitely about four scenes mashed into one, I'm cheating here so I could just talk about some things that I love. But big fan of the pool party. Yeah. I uh, This was a cut for me, not because it's not one of the best five scenes, but because I was pretty sure you were going to bring it up. <laughs> and I, I, do, uh, I do that often. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I try not to try not to pull that move too often, but it does. Uh, it does work. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with everything that you said. Uh, this is one of the many great oners in, in this movie. Paul Thomas Anderson's really showing off uh, that cinematography prowess. Yep. Yeah. Which he didn't get nominated for. Which is fucking crazy. Not really. I don't know how this didn't get nominated for everything. Not really when you look at what else is up there. So you got LA Confidential and Titanic are the two nominees I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah. And Amistad. Trust me, all three worthy. So that's... <laughs> <laughs> so, Titanic wins. We'll get to noms and nods, but we'll just talk about it now. Uh, Yanush Kaminsky. Uh, yeah, for Amistad. Yeah. Okay. And then Dante Spinotti for LA Confidential. Then you got Deacons working with Scorsese. Can't take out Deacons. And then a cinematographer I don't know called Eduardo Serra for The Wings of the Dove, which I haven't watched yet. Okay. Of the ones that we've seen, though, that's a, that's a pretty big fucking year. I, I love the cinematography in Boogie Nights. Heads up for noms and nods. I can't take out the three I've seen wow. to fit this in. That's pretty wild. I can't. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, what's your next scene, my friend? Uh, I have Dirk's first day of filming. Okay, go ahead. Uh, this scene is longer than I remember. <laughs> this is a long, uncomfortable scene. Uncom- what's uncomfortable? It's uncomfortable? I don't know. It just feels like we're watching people fuck for a long, a long time. Okay. They're just For some reason, I don't know why. Specifically, I've, I've seen... Many sex scenes in many movies. Yep. This just feels like it's for a long time. Okay. And I don't mean that as like a criticism to it. I don't think necessarily it should have been shorter for a story- storytelling perspective. It's just, I guess, I don't know, the pornographic, even though we've been talking about pornographers for all this time, for some reason seeing like a full-length porn scene, it was just like, oh yeah, this is this is what we're doing. But anyway, um, I like... The interactions uh, between the actors and the crew, the cr- the deadpan expression on a lot of the crew. Um, this uh, around here is a good spot to talk about Paul Thomas Anderson's direction because it would be really easy to have all of these reaction shots when Dirk pulls out his his dick. Uh, it would be really easy to have these reaction shots be really over the top, but just like the little head tilts. Yes. We get from all the crew members. From, from, uh, from a, Becky and Reed, especially. It's a, yeah, it's a lot more subdued. Um, and I think um, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, I think he starts shaking as he's holding the boom. He's basically <laughs> he's like, having an orgasm in his pants. Yeah, he's like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Yes. He's freaking out. Um, but he's trying to keep it cool at the same time. Great bit of acting from him there yes. as well. Um, the reaction shots are one of the highlights. The reaction shots are the highlight of the scene for yep. me. Um. Yeah, I I think the scene is so fucking good, and it kind of is a is a little bit meta because it's a scene in a movie about making a scene in a movie. So maybe there's some 
internal meta commentary there that I haven't really set my mind to. I'm sure there's some deeper analysis there, but really it's just a, it's just a well-made, good-looking scene, uh, and the reaction shots uh, to everybody looking at Dirk's dick is hilarious to me. Yep, I love it. Great pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your next one? I have, again, maybe a bit of a cheat, but if, if the pool party is one scene... I have New Year's 1980 okay. uh, as one scene. So I ha- <laughs> I accept your cheat because I only pulled out one section of the New Year's Eve. Yeah, there's two sections I want to talk about specifically. Okay, fire away then. Uh, the first one is Scott's attempt to kiss Dirk. Oh. Which devastating. Devastating moment and so well acted from Philip Seymour Hoffman and reasonably well acted from Mark Wahlberg. It's it's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman, I, I can't really explain how I feel about the scene adequately. Um, it's very funny, but also so tragic. Like the way he just repeats, fucking idiot, fucking oh, idiot, it, fucking idiot. It breaks it, my heart. It's, it's fucking heartbreaking. There's, there's something very over the top and melodramatic to it to this point in the movie the movie has not really taken that dark turn just yet it's not really gone there's one event that we're going to talk about in a moment this is the turning point of the movie yeah this is basically the turning point in the movie um actually we're talking about in this entire party um during all of this jack is having a conversation about potentially making the switch from film to tape uh somebody is pitching him on the idea of switching from film floyd gundoli yeah and uh it can be argued that his refusal to embrace the future is one of the jumping off points for everything bad we're going to see coming to the movie. If it doesn't directly set it off, it certainly foreshadows it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, this this scene of Philip Seymour Hoffman being rejected is the, f- the first bit of darkness we get. So to this point, it's been largely a comedy. Yeah. So there is a bit of like, Ha ha ha! Oh my God, he tried to kiss Dirk. Isn't that funny? That's really awkward. There's a bit of that, but then the way the camera lingers on him sobbing in the car, you're like, oh, this is, this is the beginning of a different kind of movie. You definitely notice that on the second watch. Like this is the first look in the darkness that we get. Yep. Um. So that's all I have on that. Okay. And then, yet another oneer. This one, instead of played instead of being played to establish geography and establish character and establish tone uh this one is used to uh, used for suspenseful effect Mm -hmm. um to this point we've seen little bill uh walk in on his wife with another man twice yes we've seen it happen it's about the only thing we know about his wife he is completely cucked Yes, yep. he is. And he has not been happy either time. No. And she's emasculated him. She's emasculated him and embarrassed him. She is not... She seems to care very little about how he feels, if not actively delight in embarrassing him. Yes. Like this. Yep. And bringing him down a peg. So when he opens the door to a bedroom and we hear two people having sex, even though the camera, I think wisely, the camera does not show us what he sees, we know what he sees. Yep. We know. And it's it's a great bit of filmmaking. I love that the camera doesn't show what he sees. And his reaction is flat, as if he knew what to expect, and as if he knows exactly what he's going to do. He simply walks out of the room. And you expect the scene to end, and it doesn't. It follows him all the way out to his car, 
And the very fact that we have not cut is concerning. There's something uneasy as a film watcher, at least for me. When I was watching this the first time, I didn't know the scene. I was like, this is... Why haven't we cut? Something something awful has happened. And we've already seen the aforementioned Philip Seymour Hoffman scene. Mm-hmm. So, so things have started going wrong a little bit. There's something uneasy. The hair is just standing up on the back of your neck a little bit. And he makes it to his car. He opens the glove box. And he takes out the gun. Yep. And chills over my body oh no we are about to enter a different kind of world did you notice two things two things i noticed on this watch is after he grabs a gun he locks his car door Hmm. but left his champagne glass on the top of the car oh i did not notice that yeah because he walks out with the champagne glass and then puts it on the roof when he goes in the car Mm -hmm. then when he gets out he locks his car but leaves the champagne glass as he Hmm. walks back in interesting yeah yeah i did not notice that at all (laughs) Um, I want to see if I have anything else on, on this scene at all before, I mean, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's basically it. We walk back into the house and, uh, you already know what's going to happen, Mm -hmm. but it's such a long walk from the bedroom to the car that you have all of that time to freak out. Maybe somebody will stop him. Maybe somebody will see him. Maybe he'll think better of it, but he doesn't hesitate at all. Yeah, but uh, it's, it's timed perfectly. Sorry to cut you off. It's yeah. timed off perfectly because this happens right at the stroke of midnight. So everyone's not looking at him. They're waiting to count down to midnight. It happens, I believe, one second before 1980. So there's a very clear divide. Like the 1970s are the good decade mm-hmm. and then murder and then the 80s begin. Um, and I believe after he walks out of the room, we still... Maybe we've cut once. I don't think I, so. I, I think we. I thought we cut after the murder. I, I after think he, it, it cuts to a crowd reaction. If I'm yeah, we cut to a crowd reaction, then we cut back to William H Macy, who is now standing, presumably, in front of the people who we just saw the reaction shot of, and I think for the first time in the movie, we see him smile, and then he puts the gun in his mouth and pulls the trigger. Yeah, fucking chilling. It's fucking chilling moment. Horrible. Yeah, I. Love this bit of acting from William H. Macy. He totally sells this reaction. Yep. Uh, as this emasculated man who's just had enough and doesn't want to live this life anymore that he's been living. Yep. And is super fed up. Um, yeah. I It just absolutely gives me chills watching this scene every time. It's so well acted and so well shot and so well foreshadowed. Um, fuck, is it ever good. Yeah. I, I love it. This... Whole New Year's, it, yeah, you covered everything perfectly. Mm-hmm. I don't really have much to add. Mm-hmm. The uh, the opportunity that Floyd Gondoli takes to try and go into business with the Colonel and Jack to make videotapes instead of film because it's so much cheaper, and Floyd Gondoli knows this is going to be the future. Mm-hmm. And he mentions, he's like, a lot of the theaters, and he's meaning the adult theaters are already switching from film to videotape. So that's a source that's going to be a problem. Uh, going forward, trying to continue to work with film. He wants to get into business with these guys. He's not trying to buy them out. He knows the future is coming. He wants to prepare his friends. He sees a business opportunity and presents it to them. And the colonel seems on board, but Jack sees himself as a filmmaker. And he wants to keep the standard. He has that dream of making a film that people will remember despite the fact that it is a porno. There is a parallel here, I think. Um, we will find in coming scenes that Dirk Diggler's arrogance and his, uh, his bravado winds up being his downfall. Mm-hmm. Um, Jack undergoes something very similar here. His pride gets in the way 
of him seeing the truth. His pride gets in the way of him seeing the future. At I, that, I at will that n- time. At that time. Because yeah. he buys in pretty quick. He does, and winds up better off than Dirk in the end because of it. But um, had he been able to see the future, I, I think I think him saying, I'm an artist, I shoot film, I don't shoot tape, um, I think that's his pride mm-hmm. getting in the way. 100%. And uh, he pays the price. Yep. Well, <laughs> what price does he pay? Uh, certainly certainly he undergoes some sort of a downfall doesn't he like he's not as well off i mean i guess they kind of live in the same house but the porn industry still collapsed certainly the film uh porn film industry collapses and he uh is not really on top by the end jack yeah you know is he still on top yeah you see that whole section of him walking through that warehouse of films that he's made yeah okay yeah, fair enough. As far as I, as far as I know, I don't think Jack suffers. The the kind of the main scene that comes to mind is um is the scene where they're oh, I guess that that kind of goes against what I'm saying though. The main scene that I'm thinking of him not being on top uh, and having a bit of a downfall is him shooting on tape um in the limo with uh, Roller Girl. It's the I I get I guess the downfall is is that he doesn't get to be the artist he thinks he is. Mm-hmm. So if that's the price he pays, then. Yes, I 100% yeah. agree. That's the price he pays. Other than that, he's he's probably making even more money yeah. than he was before. Fair enough. So I think the loss of his artistic integrity is probably the price he has to pay. So And for him, that is a big deal. So yeah, totally. I think I will agree with you that he does pay a price. I was just thinking like – Compared to everybody else. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, not even close. I will, pay, I will take his paying the price yeah. as opposed to everybody. Oh else. no, I'm. <laughs> oh Woe no, I, me. oh no, I'm richer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, something else that occurred to me really quick before we get off of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, just want to say that, um, I maybe knew this on some level before uh going in before watching this movie, but the realization like. Oh my god, people really were just watching porn exclusively in theaters yes. before this is a is a terrifying thing to know. And I can't believe that uh that porn theaters um I mean, I'm pretty sure they do do adult uh, do X-rated theaters still exist? Not as far as I know. Yeah, I can't imagine there's much of a market for it with how prevalent uh porn is online right now. Uh give me one quick second here. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just that realization that, uh, that all these people are watching porn in theaters uh, and all these sickening descriptions that Jack gives uh, about about what they're doing in those theaters. I'm is... just quickly getting something here because I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but I need to quickly adjust for inflation. Ooh, okay. Interesting. Um, well, here, uh, the next scene that I have is, um, it's a bit of a jump, so I suspect that you may have something in the meantime. It's the parallel scenes of them shooting uh, the aforementioned segment on tape in the limo. Um, the parallel scenes, that scene and uh, Dirk prostituting himself and uh, jerking off in front of the dude. Uh, okay, you, you may Holy have you may have something before that. Lee, fuck. So okay, rough. Okay, so. I just want to, before we move on to that next scene, which I think, hold on. Um, yeah. So this is inner. Is this? Oh no. I have something before that. I have something before that because is that scene before or after? It's before. I have something before yours. I have the inner cut between 
uh, Roller Girl and Amber in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. Um, Todd, Dirk, and Reed doing more and more coke. Uh, and um, Buck and Jesse going to the bank. So that happens before right. your scene. Yep. Okay, just before we get that, um, you're talking about um, how a lot of people, there, there were theaters that just showed exclusively pornographic films. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know about the movie Deep Throat. I don't. Okay, so it is a pornographic film. Okay. And in 1972, it made somewhere, they don't have exact numbers, it made somewhere between 30 to $50 million. So to give you an idea, that's why I wanted the inflation calculator, Whoa. that's $355 million today. Are you shitting me? Not shitting you. That's huge. Yes. Yes. That's, I don't know where specifically that would put it in... 2023 or 2022 oh i can get that number for you Mike. yeah Hold if you on. pull up um i guess 2022 because the box office numbers are completed okay that would make sense um it got, would put it it's gotta be like top 10 right? it is it's eight it would put it eighth holy shit the only films that would have beat it are the batman these are in ascending order mm-hmm. so the batman minions rise of Gru, jurassic world dominion avatar the way of water doctor strange black panther and top gun maverick the films it beat Thor Love and Thunder, Spider-Man No Way Home, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Elvis, Uncharted, Lightyear, Bullet Train, Lost City, Fantastic Beasts. Those are all the movies that it beat and, and beat handily. That is that's shocking to me. To give you that, an, that well. <laughs> to give you an idea, here are the movies it beat not adjusting for inflation. Mm-hmm. So, just let's say on the top end it made 50 million dollars. These are the movies it beat. Um Downton Abbey, The New Era, hmm. uh, Don't Worry Darling, Strange World, The Northman, Bob's Burger Movies, uh, the re-release of Avatar, uh, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, oh, dude. Amsterdam, Glass Onion, uh, Licorice Pizza, <laughs> The <Funny>. Fablemans. <laughs> wow. Yeah. These are all the movies. Oh, it beat RRR. That's a travesty. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I, I just wanted to, I know that Deep I, Deep Throat is the most successful um, pornographic film. That's in, fucking crazy. In regards to box office. The fact that it would have outgrossed Thor Love and Thunder is, is pretty nuts to me. Yeah. That's pretty nuts. Uh, let's see here. Um, yeah. It, uh, it grossed a million dollars in its first seven weeks including a then porn film single screen record of uh, $30,000 per screen in its opening week at New York City's World New World Theater so that's at one theater. Uh Yep. 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 So okay. I I have to imagine <laughs> Now, do you go opening weekend? <laughs> you know, do you go shoulder to shoulder with all those other um film aficionados who knows right yeah that <laughs> i think that's a theater experience i could probably pass on okay let's get back to the movie yeah. <laughs> so i i picked the intercut scene between roller girl and amber uh th- while it's intercut with two other stories it's the part with roller girl and amber that uh, i really want to focus on this is an acting tour de force from Julianne Moore oh, yeah, dude. and Heather Graham. This is unbelievable as the two of them do more and more coke and they slip down this incredibly horrible slope. Just unveiling all the trauma in the world to each other 
as Heather Graham is desperately searching for a maternal figure, uh, fig- figure and just asks Amber to be her mom. And Amber is more than happy to because she has lost her own child because she is a drug-addicted porn star. Yeah. And uh, that's another scene that was horrible. She – they they just – from my opinion, I have no experience. This is one of the scenes that just makes – it makes me so happy. I'm like, I don't want to do drugs. Yeah. This is just a, a great big don't, – please don't do drugs. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Goodfellas is also uh, ringing very true here as well. Yes. Like th- this uh, definitely strikes me as, um, I guess it would be the of what we called the uh, Henry's very bad day. Yes, uh, scene where he's just. This doing, is exactly what it is. This is basically what this is. It's the same frenetic editing that is in Goodfellas. Yep. Um, yeah, it's very uncomfortable, and Julianne Moore's acting in this scene is so good. I love the way that her eyes narrow, kind of through this movie. It's. I, I can't even really explain it. I mean, I haven't spent a, a ton of time around people who do certainly this much coke. <laughs> <laughs> um, I haven't spent the most time around uh, people like this, but um, I don't know something about her energy here and the way that her eyes narrow throughout the scene is, uh, is so good. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. Um, <clears throat> the one thing I wanted to mention here, because I didn't know that this gentleman was in the movie because I didn't know that's who he was. But intercut in this scene is a scene with uh, Reed and Dirk trying to get their master tapes from the uh, the studio label or the label that owns them. Mm-hmm. Do you remember this scene? Yes, I do. Okay. Uh, do you know who that older gentleman is? I don't, but I have a guess. Okay. I saw I saw his name in the credits earlier, and I was trying to remember who he was, yeah. and I couldn't. But is it Robert Downey Sr.? It is. Okay. I don't know him from anything. Neither do I. I. Think. Yeah. <laughs> and I only heard, as I was listening to a podcast today on Boogie Nights, that he was in this movie, and I immediately looked him up, and I was so excited. Yeah. I was wondering who he was, because I saw his name in the credits, but I, I don't know who he is, yeah. so that makes sense. Uh, other than that, I think this is just an absolutely incredible fucking scene. Uh, especially from Julianne Moore. Yeah. Also, John C. Riley is so funny. Yeah. Uh, him explaining to who I now know is Robert Downey Sr. Uh, <laughs> him uh, <laughs> explaining like, look, we have to get the tapes so that we can go, <laughs> we can go give them to the record company, and then we can give you your money. Yeah. Like, as if he doesn't fucking know. Like you need to, you need to pay. <laughs> like that's just what you need to do. You need to pay. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Uh, by the way, there. The fact that uh, uh, Mark Wahlberg has released music, it makes this so much funnier that the music that him and John C. Riley make is fucking garbage. <laughs> makes it even better. Yeah, big time. That song mm-hmm. that... Um, I think it's called like Feel the Heat or something. Yeah. What's the other one they do? Oh, um... Yeah, because they perform, they perform one other one, or they would try to record one other one. Yeah, fuck, I can't remember. But I think, hold on, let me quickly look it up. I'm, I can do it here. Um. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm gonna have to look it up while you're talking about something else. Why don't you? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, your scene is which one next? I have the parallel scenes of uh, of them in the limo trying to pick oh. up somebody to have sex with, and uh, Dirk 
uh, selling himself into prostitution. Okay, go ahead. And then I'm going to look up something while you're doing that. This is rock bottom for everybody in this movie. This is as dark as it gets. This is everybody worse off uh, in the movie. Uh, the fact that uh, Dirk is back to uh, to his old tricks is really unfortunate. And um, when he's doing the sort of stuff at the beginning of the movie, even though it feels kind of icky because he's, you know... Uh, reportedly underage or uh, professes to be underage um even though it feels gross in those scenes it just feels fucking depressing now because he has fallen from being a huge star to being somebody who's drug addicted just needs money and is now uh jerking off in front of some stranger uh for money so it's a it's a super dark scene i think the uh the acting is mostly pretty good here i don't get um, even though the scene is really good, I just don't get the thought process of these bigots who are just like, I'm going to pay this guy to jerk off in front of me, and then I'm going to beat him up for jerking off in front of me and call him a gay slur. <laughs> it just doesn't It doesn't make any sense to me. I, I just, people, people are terrible. People are the worst. Um, and then, of course, simultaneously, we get some guy acting very... Um, uh, questionably towards ruler girl uh, and throwing himself on top of her, not respecting her uh, Jack former classmate, former classmate. Um, it's funny because earlier in the movie, when we, this is the same guy who makes the dick sucking motion to her, right? Yeah. Um, so earlier in the movie, I'm, I remember being like, this guy isn't in the movie again. Like, what's the point of this dick sucking? Like, what is this trying to, what is this trying to say? Like, or what is uh like what is the point of including this in the movie? And I was trying to figure it out, but I guess the point of including it in the movie is so that we can have this callback, right? Oh, I didn't take it as that. I took it as like that dick sucking scene or dick fake dick sucking scene, yeah. miming, um yeah. shows that she can't because of the way society looks at porn, and mm -hmm. it's still actually not that much different now, sadly. No, sure but she can't – it's at that point she's like, I can't stay in school. I can't mm, be here. Like right. this is only – That just, makes sense. This is just going to grow. I need to I need to leave. And that's why in the middle of the test she gets up and leaves. Yeah. That's that's how I've always taken that scene as the main reason for it. And then it does set up this scene as right. well. That's um, the way I've always interpreted at it. At that point in the movie, have we seen her do porn yet? Yes. Have, we have? What has she done? I can't remember. That's when she's – I think it's after she slept with Dirk. Well, it's after she slept with Dirk, yes. But she she is a porn star. Yes. I just, I think I'm trying to come up with the reason why I didn't reach that conclusion. Okay. And I thought it was because we hadn't seen her. We've seen her, I think she goes down on Dirk in the back of the club. Yep. Um, But I don't remember seeing her having done porn at this point in the movie, which is probably why I didn't make that connection. Like, I knew that she would... What I'm saying, what I'm trying to say, is that I thought she would go on to do porn. Oh, whereas at this point she had already done porn. We just hadn't seen it. I guess. Is okay. That, is that reasonable? I can understand why yeah. you would think that way. Yeah. That never occurred to me. Okay. Yeah. Because we never, we never ever see Buck Swope in any type of porn. That's true. We don't. Which is weird. Don Cheadle's a good-looking dude, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Equality, you know. <laughs> uh. Is there anything else you want to touch on in this? Uh, she. Uh, this is great acting from Heather Graham, by yeah. the way. When she 
is outraged and finally fucking snaps mm-hmm. after being under a lot of stress for a lot of the movie. Yep. Uh, and curb stomps this dude while wearing uh, while wearing roller skates. How that guy survives that is beyond me. I'm not kidding. Honestly, there's there's a chance he just gets taken to hospital and. Uh, even if he survives, there's a good chance he's not the same like after he, that. Like he could, he could take that beating he takes from Jack because Jack only Jack hits him pretty hard, but doesn't like kick the shit out of him. Like yeah. leaves him bloodied and bruised, but stomping on his head with roller skates those that's, have those that's have, attempted murder. Like those have weight in a court of law. That's attempted murder. Yep, for sure. Yep, it is. Like she, she did legit permanent damage. Oh yeah, that dude is not the same. Yep. After that, mm-hmm. anyway. But I get it. And I don't, <laughs> you know, I, I fucking get it. I don't feel sorry for him. Yeah. No, me I neither. don't at all. Dude's a piece of shit. Yeah, he is. <laughs> he is. Yeah. yeah. I'm not saying the legal system should operate that way, but I am saying that you fucking reap what you sow, brother. Mm-hmm. Like, don't be surprised. <laughs> anyway, I agree. Yeah, that's a, a intense uh, one-two scene parallel of uh, both those guys getting beat up at once. Yeah. I love how they are like connected because the guys driving away after beating up Mark pass by the limo that yeah. they're in, which as it leaves, Don Cheadle and Jesse show up in their car to go to the donut shop. Oh my god! And then the donut shop scene. Yeah. Where, yeah. Anyway. Okay. Uh, I only have one scene left. Me too. It's probably the same one. Uh, the robbery. The attempted robbery of uh, Rahad. Yep. Is it Rahad? Is it Rahad? Yeah. yeah. Alfred Molina, baby. Go ahead, buddy. Doc Ock. Go ahead, buddy. <laughs> um, there is so much to like about this scene. I love the information is given out to you in little bits. Um, we know that, uh, what's the name of the friend who has the plan? Todd Parker. Yeah, so we know that Todd has a plan of some kind. We, we think his plan is just to go in and sell fake drugs, but we do know as we're going in that the drugs are fake. And uh, the reveal as they're walking up to the door that he has a gun is an indication uh, that things are maybe there's a potential for them to escalate at some point. Um, Mark Wahlberg and John C. Riley, their freak out over it as they're walking in heightens our heightens our heightens the tension of the audience watching. Yep. Um, the decision. <laughs> I don't know whose idea this was. It's so brilliant to have somebody just setting off firecrackers through the duration of the yeah. scene yes is so fucked up it's super fucked up yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> super fucked up yeah. i'll be honest sorry to cut you off yeah. i'm just going to mention this right here i'll be honest i don't think this scene would resonate with me as much without those firecrackers yeah i really don't it's just it's just a way for the tension to be ratcheted up i think um and apparently Alfred Molina was wearing hearing protection so that he didn't flinch yep uh but the flinching of uh the rest of the cast in the scene is real mm-hmm. um and God, I, again, the editing here is so good, the way that the information is doled out to the audience, because we've been told, like, hey, he probably won't check it. Like, it's probably going to be fine. And the cut to his bodyguard checking the drugs is a huge oh-fuck moment. Like, something's yep. got to give. And then uh, Todd reveals the rest of his plan, which is to be a huge fucking idiot and ask for whatever's in the floor safe yep. and, uh, <laughs> and reveal that he has a gun, uh, which is obviously stupid what's the name of the chinese boy throwing the firecrackers again we just watched the oh scene. we just watched this clip fuck um i don't know neither do i, I honestly don't know i'm sure i can find it on the cast but what i wanted to ask him like did he survive oh yeah we don't know where he goes that's weird yeah i i honestly don't know okay <laughs> <clears throat> uh 
Rahab playing Russian roulette freaks me the fuck out. Oh, yeah. God, that's intense. Uh, and then Todd just looks horrible. Like, kudos to you, Thomas Jane. You went all out. Like, this is probably his best performance. Who's this, sorry? Thomas Jane, the guy that plays Todd. Oh, yeah. I don't really know him from anything else, I don't think. He's the lead character in Deep Blue Sea. Oh. <laughs> yes, he is. I got to rewatch that movie, man. Oh, it's coming. It used to be on space all the time, but uh, I haven't watched it in a long time. That one is 100% on the list mm-hmm. for 1999. Uh, yeah, the... Uh, w- Todd getting blown away when he enters the door is disturbing. Uh, Rahad chasing them out. I also... I'm also sad that <clears throat> after Dirk makes his kind of makes his getaway, he still left Reed behind. Yeah, I know. I kind of took that as um, like we do. He looks at his tank and uh, looks at his tank and sees gas empty. Now, mind you, at that point, he's already left Lee Reed in the dust. But at that point, I don't think he even has the option to go back. That's fair. Yeah. Um, Cosmo. Thank you. Cosmo is the name. I had in in my, in my I'm like I know it's not Quentin, but I know it's a. K- I I was thinking Quan, <laughs> but I was yep. like that might racist. be racist. You're right, right. You're yeah. on a racist roll tonight. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Trying to be up here getting me canceled. <laughs> we don't have enough listeners to get you canceled. Nah, it's fine. You're safe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is that your last scene? Yes. Yeah, yeah, same here. Uh, all right, what are you picking for your favorite scene? I think it's New Year's 1980. I think nice. it's such a good scene. Yeah, that's a great pick. I'm picking the pool party. Yep. Uh, mostly because of the colonel. Mm-hmm. All right. Noms and nods get comfy. Oh, boy. Where do you want to start? Okay. Uh, quick. Burt Reynolds. Yeah. Uh, apparently did not want to be in the movie. Nope. And uh, did not want to be associated with the movie after it was made. Nope. Doesn't show. He's awesome. Yep. He's great. I think he's such a strong paternal presence. He's such a strong patriarch of of this weird surrogate family. Um, He has these weird little speeches. Like, it is my dream to make a film that is so... Like, that that whole monologue is so fucking good. He was nominated for an Oscar for it. Um, I I don't know why he didn't want to be associated with the movie. Presumably because it was glorifying the porn industry, I guess. Or... I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Or because Burt Reynolds was like apparently fucking like nuts a little bit. Uh, well, no, it's not these nuts. He's just an av- he's just a, a huge asshole. Yeah, there you go. He has a huge ego, and from my understanding, just him and Paul Thomas Anderson did not get along. Yeah, and a lot of people, a, a lot of people feel that this was actually Burt Reynolds' Oscar to lose, but because he wanted nothing to do with the film afterwards, he did no promotional work for his Oscar campaign. Wow. Which opened the door for a win that both you and I love. Which was uh, Robin Williams, right? Yeah. 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 Oh, no. <laughs> my favorite role in one of my favorite movies. Yeah. I'm, like, in all honesty, like, spoiler for the end, obviously you and I are both still going to, mm, yeah, we'll definitely be picking Robin Williams to keep that Oscar. Mm-hmm. This is Probably the closest someone will get to taking that Oscar away from me. And while it's not, it's it's probably in 
without seeing a lot of revisiting a lot of films, it's it's the closest contender I have to someone un unseating him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying. We'll to see f- how I feel after I revisit Goodwill Hunting and get blown away by that performance again. Yeah, we're doing uh, we're doing Amistad, right? Oh yeah. So I'll t- take a look at Anthony Hopkins. You and I'll take a look at Robert Forster as well. I've seen Jackie Brown, but I don't really remember that performance. I think you're really going to enjoy Anthony Hopkins' performance. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to enjoy it enough to take away. I don't think so either. Not even because of your like obvious bias. Mm-hmm. Like it's a Anthony Hopkins' performance in Amistad is really good, and he I I swear to God I think he has like somewhere between like I think like a five to twelve minute monologue near the end of the movie. Like he it is long. Hmm. And it is awesome. Wow. But yeah. Uh, okay. Then I'm going to go to uh, mine for me, uh, uh, Julianne Moore, mm-hmm. Best Supporting Actress. Loses to Kim Basinger and heads up for the end of the year. Uh, she won't be losing to Kim Basinger at the end of the year hmm. when I'm done. Uh, I think this right now, uh, this is the role, this is the performance to beat. I have L.A. Confidential recently watched, and I no disrespect to Kim Basinger, who's definitely good in the movie. Uh, the Oscar win is personally a bit of a head-scratcher for me. I don't really get it. I really like that performance, and I think it's just a almost like a career achievement kind of thing mm-hmm. as kind of a... Because Kim Basinger has done decent work in her past. I think this was a wow, you really impressed us, and Julianne probably deserved it, but she's probably going to get some more nominations down the road, so we'll, we can probably give it to her another time, but we should probably give this to one to Kim while we can kind of thing, which is it's all fucking bullshit. Uh, yeah, this is... For me, this is Julianne Moore's to lose, and we're at episode two, and we're, we're in part two of our rewatch, so I personally don't see anybody unseating her going forward yeah she gets to do a lot of different stuff in this movie she gets to be maternal she gets to be sweet she gets to be angry she gets to be sexy she gets to be um on drugs yeah (laughs) you know she gets a lot of different uh things to do in this movie and she nails all of them yep all right where you want to go next uh fuck it let's go uh yeah let's go philip seymour hoffman baby let's go nice okay Uh, um he is so fucking good in the movie. I, I, this might be controversial. I might like his performance better than Burt Reynolds. Yeah, I can't go. I can't go there. No, no. I love this. I've it's, always loved this Philip Seymour Hoffman performance. I can understand it. It's too small of a role. Yeah, for me to give the nod because Burt has so much more to do and gets so much to do with that character. He does. But don't get me wrong. I, that is not a besmirching yeah. on Philip Seymour Hoffman. No, and I don't even. I'm not even saying that specifically to say take burt reynolds out and put in philip seymour hoffman i know who you're taking out though greg kinnear baby get him out of there (laughs) (laughs) this might be recurring going forward (laughs) yeah um and it's not that greg kinnear is bad no it's just that i really fucking love this philip seymour hoffman performance and um maybe this is maybe this is a thing that just happens with uh actors who pass on maybe i'm putting them on pedestal in my mind or something but just He's one of these guys now, every time I see him in a movie, I'm filled with such like a bittersweet happiness. I like, 100% I'm agree. reminded every time I see him, every single time I see him, I'm reminded of what a talented man he was and is. Um, and it just it makes me so happy and so sad to see him. Do you know who that does that for me? 
Probably Chadwick. No, it's worse. Uh, it's worse because I hate that I feel that way. Who's that? It's Spacey. Oh, yeah. It hurts me. <laughs> yeah, somebody who's not gone, but, you know, is effectively gone. Who should be gone. Yeah. Um, and, should, yeah and you know Bo- what? I had a... I Bozeman's, had a s- Bozeman's the other one. Even though I don't really have a connection to this person, I felt the same thing watching um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because Roman Polanski is so prominently featured in it. There's like... I just remembered thinking, like, wow, who would have thought that guy would have gone on to be the piece of shit that he was? Yep. Yeah. But I definitely feel that way about Spacey, too. Like, I loved House of Cards. Oh, my God. Spacey's so fucking incredible. And every time I see him in a movie and I just see how fucking amazingly talented he is. It's like, why did you have to be just a garbage person? Yes. Just a garbage person. Yes. Yeah. It sucks. Whatever. <laughs> uh, okay. So then I'm going to okay. Well then I'm going to go with a good one. Oh yeah, easy. I'm going to go best director. Implying I didn't go with a good one. Okay. Oh, is that, what <laughs> I, that was. I apologize. I'm just, I'm just fucking with you. It was the way you emphasized a good one. Okay. Oh, I, I will. I will. I want to retract that emphasis. No, I'm just fucking with you. I think what it was is I as I meant to imply like a, a top one. My apologies. Yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I like the pick. You're taking a Kinnear. I can get on board with it. I can get on board with taking Kinnear out, but I'm he, he's still going to be below Bert because Bert's character is deeper and had more to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to go with director uh, for PTA, and I'll be on I've only seen four of them. Uh, I can easily take out Peter Cataneo for the full Monty. Uh, I could also take out Gus Van Sant, but uh, since I only have to take out one, Peter's fucking out in a heartbeat. Get him out of there. Yeah. Uh, I think everything that PTA does in this movie is absolutely brilliant. The way he's able to get this cast together, knowing he gets this performance out of Burt Reynolds, knowing how much behind-the-scenes drama there was, makes it even more impressive that he was able to get such an incredibly warm performance from somebody that hated him with a passion. Yeah. Uh, it's it's pretty impressive. I mean, I don't have a lot of experience with Burt Reynolds' filmography, mm-hmm. but I have to imagine his talent also weighs into that as well. He's, speaking of uh, assholes who are talented people. Yeah. yeah. Um, have you, do you have much experience with Burt Reynolds? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, like, I uh, deliver it for... In Burt Reynolds' filmography, the only one that I think that you should watch is Deliverance. Yeah. Uh, I think it, it it's a absolutely fucking incredibly well-made film. The rest of his films that I have any experience with are just kind of slapstick comedies hmm. or like adventure movies like uh, Smokey and the Bandit and Cannonball Run. They are a ton of fun, but they are not about acting. Hmm. They are about a bunch of huge stars getting together, getting a paycheck, and having fun. It's bis- like Cannonball Run is the Ocean's Eleven of the late 70s, early 80s. I gotta rewatch Ocean's Eleven, too. Fuck. Yep. yep. You know what I think about every time I think about Ocean's Eleven? It's the line the, the line delivery of Brad Pitt simply saying the words skin cancer. <laughs> <laughs> Which is hysterical to me. Awesome. But anyway. Okay, I got director. I've got him in there. Yeah, Um. I will just go ahead and echo that because everything in the movie is exceptional, including the performances, mm-hmm. and the performances that he gets are are great top to bottom okay. almost um yeah so i'll definitely echo that um the i want to talk about the soundtrack man well done um so you know this and people listening may know this i had a brief tenure as the drummer in a funk band uh last year and this is my first time watching this movie 
since developing a bit more of an appreciation for that genre. I've mm-hmm. not been exposed to funk much in my life before that. Okay. And uh, going back and listening to this, I was grooving uh, <laughs> through this entire movie. I've, I loved uh, almost every song in this movie, uh, including at least one that I performed a couple times. Uh, there's this one song, uh, Gotta Give It Up by Marvin Gaye, that shows up on a couple of, uh, at least one occasion. And uh, I definitely uh, played that on stage a couple of times. And yeah, the music in this movie is so fucking good. Um, and so lively and warm. Uh, it's just it's just a fucking good time. Uh, even when the film starts to take a darker direction, we still get a lot of these sort of uh, funky jams. They're They're awesome. Oh, damn it. I don't actually have, um, I have to imagine there is, yeah, there has, there has to be a score for this as well, right? There wasn't much of one. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of scenes like, um, uh, the scene where Dirk is jerking off in the car, uh, in front of that dude. Um, I have to imagine a scene like that is scored. You know, but I honestly don't remember. I honestly can't remember now either, but, uh. Yeah, regardless. Uh, hold on. I'm just looking up this one song since you're on the soundtrack. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there it is. Okay, I'm going to I'm gonna play it. Okay. Are we going to get an ad? You got the power! Yes! That's the one. That's the one. Do you know that this is actually in another movie? What it's, year is that song? Uh, 86. Is it Top Gun? No. Fuck. Okay, what is it's it? It's the Transformers animated movie. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that. Uh, so, yeah, it's The Touch uh, by Stan Bush. Right, but in, okay. In the, in the movie, it's uh, Dirk Diggler and, and Reith Rothschild singing it. So corny. Yeah. <laughs> Very corny song. Uh, I don't know how well Remember I sh- said almost every song I like in that movie? Yeah. I don't know how well that showed up. Uh, in the episode, I may or may not underlay that song uh, in during that ep- during this as uh, segment. Yeah, there you go. We'll see. We'll see how I, robust I feel. Okay, uh, I'm gonna go. Oh fuck it! I'm gonna go with the top one as well. Best picture. Yeah. Okay. Um, I can know. tell you right now. I I can take out the full Monty, dude. Yeah, I can take out the full Monty. I can take out as good as it gets. Yep, me too. I can't take out the other three. Nope. Yep. If get you, it in there. If you forced me to, I could, but I'm I won't reveal which one. But I will. I could as good as it gets in the full Monty are easily out the fucking door, and this is in mm-hmm. hands down. Uh, all right. What do you got next? Uh, what do I have next? Let's see. Um, the editing, man. There's been there's so many great edits yeah. in this movie. Um, in particular, the one where. Dirk is leaving his home, or at that point, he's still Eddie. He's leaving his home, and we cut to him uh, walking up to Jack's doorstep. Um, there's a cut of... Uh, I forgot to talk about this one, but it's such a good cut of him standing in front of the mirror when he's still living at home at the beginning in his underwear. And he's. Uh, we, there's been a ton of conversation about what a big dick he has. And I think maybe there's a, there's a close-up or something. I, I can't remember the exact... I can't remember the exact context, but it's definitely one of the many scenes talking about what a big dick he has. And I think we see kind of the outline in his jeans or something. And then we cut to his mom making sausages the next morning. It's a, it's 
fucking made me laugh. And of course, in the context of her making breakfast, it makes sense. But there's so much stuff like that where the editor is just having a ton of fun mm -hmm. uh, doing these little match cuts like that. And not just having fun, but also telling a story. Um, you know, drawing in the previous example, in the first example, drawing a comparison between his home life and the family that would become his surrogate family later on. Um, there's so much of that that's editing with purpose. And uh, it's it's a lot of fun. I know that we kind of say that a lot of good editing you're not supposed to notice. And there's some subtleties throughout the movie as well. But uh, the editor's not afraid to draw a little bit of attention to themselves in this one. Mm -hmm. I, I think the movie's better for it. I can go. I can get on board with that. I have seen all five uh, editing nominations. Uh, so, again, I, there's two I can't take out. I, I cannot take out Titanic and I can't take out Ellie Confidential. Mm -hmm. I don't want to take out Goodwill Hunting. Mm-mm. But uh, the other two, Air Force One and As Good As It Gets, I could take out As Good As It Gets for the for the editing in this one easily. Hmm. Um, so I'll, I'll take out As Good As It Gets. Uh, Air Force One is a really well-made action film that has some tense moments that are increased by the editing. Mm -hmm. So I'm not I'm, I'm going to keep a, kind of a, a silly action film in there for the sake of keeping it in there. Cool. And I'll take out As Good As It Gets. Okay. I'm going to go with, even though it did get its nomination, uh, I want to talk about it. It's tough, but uh, best original screenplay. Mm -hmm. As I was watching this, I kept going to myself. I'm like, how the fuck did this not win? And Good then I'm reminded. It's, <laughs> it's, I, honestly, I do kind of wonder. Would Goodwill of Hunting have won Best Original Screenplay if it wasn't written by Matt and Ben? They weren't big stars at the time, but them writing their own movie and starring in it helped facilitate that story. Yeah, I mean, part of the campaign is always going to be the narrative, mm -hmm. you know, um, whatever that means for your specific movie. But for Goodwill Hunting, the narrative of these two guys who just had this this passion project of theirs that came to life in a beautiful way that resonated with people. Yeah, that absolutely was part of the narrative, no doubt. I'm not going to... It's always going to be difficult with the Oscars to separate the campaign from the ideal of the Oscars, the ideal from being... The merit. Yeah, the ideal being that we're solely basing movies off merit, but unfortunately, it's it's just never been that way. Nope. Yeah, it's just never, it's just never been the case. Nope. And it's never going to be the I'm case. not going to reveal my decision on whether or not I want to take that Oscar away from Matt and Ben. I'm going to leave it until until we get to the year in review. Because I won't lie, I'm stewing on it right now. I'm stewing on it some more. Yeah. Stew on it for a few more months. All right. You got some more? Um, What do I have? Uh, I think that's... Oh, the last thing I have is just the sets and the costumes. I I'm, I know they're two separate categories, but I'm just going to throw them in okay. real quick here. Art I, direction and costume design? Yeah. Okay. Um, Just... Everything has such a great, lively look to it for the first half of the movie. Um, and uh, through the second half, we certainly get a lot more a lot more dark and a lot more sterile and a lot more muted in the colors. But for the first half of this music uh, for this movie, especially, um, all the neon lights, all the orange orange colors, all the just everything looks beautiful. And the, there's such a clear singular vision for how this movie was supposed to look. Mm -hmm. And it looks awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, can we, can we focus sure. on art direction Go ahead, and then move on to costume? Yeah. Okay. I'm with you. I had this on my list. Uh, again, it's so sad that this movie came out this year. 
why couldn't this have come out in 96? Mm -hmm. Because it obviously loses to Titanic. Sorry, you're not winning. You're not winning art direction over Titanic. No. But the other films that year are Gattaca, Kundun, L.A. Confidential, and Men in Black. L.A. Confidential's, the whole art direction that is fucking spectacular. Mm -hmm. Men in Black is so original. Mm -hmm. Like, it's so original. And then Gattaca, you haven't seen. Uh, It's a movie I do hope you get a chance to check out uh, because it is a science fiction film. Fun. Yeah. Instead of a sci-fi film, I think it's a movie you would really enjoy. Okay. Uh, I haven't seen it in a long time. And then I haven't seen Kundun. So I have a slot I can slide. I could slide it in there because I haven't seen Kundun. But if I have to take out one that I have seen, I'd have to take out Gattaca. But I haven't seen Gattaca in over 15 years because I am not taking out Titanic, LA Confidential, or Men in Black. I don't think I can take out... Oh, man, I don't really know. I don't know. I could probably take out Men in Black for art direction. Well, I'm trying to think of some of the sets in that movie. I'm just saying. So, obviously, we have like their sort of headquarters. The headquarters it's been the, a while since I've seen Men in Black. The headquarters is a big one. Then you have whatever... whatever the we have the, far- s- the set piece at the end uh, with the tower. Yeah. Um, but then we also have like the set uh, where they go and get the noisy cricket, the like the pawn shop. Yeah, is, that's is, fun. Is a great. We set. have there's sort of a waiting area at the beginning of the yeah. at the entrance of the building. Um, I can't remember whatever <laughs> whatever the villain the the farmhouse at the beginning where the villain takes over the guy's body. That yeah. farmhouse is fantastic. Um, actually, further to that waiting area when when all the different agents are receiving their exams and the, ch- the circular chairs are a yes. great gag. Yes. And yeah. so that's a, like men in black is just so oh, man. That, that is pretty good. I, I think I still give it to boogie nights by a nose, but okay. I understand your hesitation to take it out. Yeah. I, there was a part of me that was like really art direction, men in black. But now that we've gone through it, like, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. I, but again, it, it's pretty close, but again, I, I can't stress enough. You're not being Titanic no. and I'm not taking it a lot of confidential. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Jump on the costume design. Yeah. Um, all, all of the different costumes, both the real-life clothing and the film-within-a-film clothing, like the the outfits that they wear, like the look of, of Brock Landers is hilarious with his big feathered hair and the yes. big sunglasses. Yep. It's all so fucking corny. Um, yeah, just the, the look of every character in the movie, um, you know, throughout the 70s especially it's just everybody looks so groovy everybody like I, i'm thinking back to we didn't even talk about the dance number scene mm-hmm. uh where they're all dancing at the disco everybody looks so good man yeah. all the costumes are fucking groovy as hell i agree uh so costume design i've only seen two of the movies and obviously again titanic yeah no, I, not coming out no and amistad <sighs> we're all suckers for historical movies and because it's impressive to recreate those old costumes. I don't think I can. Oh, no. I'm just thinking of some other stuff in Amistad. I can't take out Amistad for this, but I've got three empty slots with Kundun, Oscar, and Linda, and the Wings of the Dove, so I can slot it in one of those empty ones. But playing the Force game, I can't take out Amistad, and obviously I can't take out Titanic. I'm very curious to see Kundun. Is Kundun on the on the list for us? No, it's not mm-hmm. available. Only you can't. Oh I, yeah, we can't really find it. Right? I, well, I bought it. Yeah, and it, it hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it was the only reason I bought it is I. It's a Scorsese film, mm-hmm. so that's the only reason I bought it. It's and it's Deacons. 
as deacons. So I'm very excited to see their collaboration together. Um, yeah. So, okay. Uh, I had one. I had, uh, I got two more. Okay. I'm not sure if I want to do this. So I'm hesitant. I'm going to put it out there so you can convince me that I'm wrong and it won't take much convincing. But I'm putting Mark Wahlberg as worst actor. I'm giving him a Razzie. Nah, come on. Yeah. Let's see. Who have I seen? One. Um, it's not going to take much convincing me to get get me to say no to this, but there's a lot of moments where I think he is actively bad. One of them being the domestic pursuit at the beginning. Yep. Okay. And <sighs> there's just a lot of times I just don't believe his performance but at the same time i'm also trying to realize that he is playing basically in the film a 17 to 22 year old 23 roughly somewhere in there yeah so i have to give in to the idea that this is still just a young man trying to deal with fame and fortune at a young age and the immaturity that would come with it and you know why it kind of works for me a little bit as well is because let's let's say that Mark Wahlberg is bad in the movie. Let's just let's just say that as a fact for right now. Okay. Um, even though I don't always see it the same way, let's say that's let's say that's a fact. Um, he obviously misses the mark. Oh, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> he uh, he's off base a little bit in a few scenes. But what happens to bad actors, especially him in this movie? I think is that his real self. Like, his own personality just kind of shines through underneath. He's just kind of being himself a little bit. And himself, Mark Wahlberg in 1997, or 96 when this film was being shot, I guess, was what you just said. A very young person who's not even the best person, who's a little bit arrogant, and is on the rise and coping with his kind of newfound stardom. Like, that just kind of is who Mark Wahlberg was at this time. Mm -hmm. So, I think... Even if we're saying that his acting isn't totally on par, what I'm, what I am receiving from this movie and from his performance personally is that still, I'm still getting that, and that's still coming across, whether it was intentional or not. I'm still receiving that. Okay, I'm gonna let go of it. Yeah. Uh, I don't like who won worst actor anyway. Who is it? Uh, like I don't agree with it. It's Kevin Costner for The Postman. <laughs> that's why he won. <laughs> I can. Well, I was about to say I'm like I can't wait to watch The Postman. I'm like. Kevin Costner's not a bad actor in it. The movie's just fucking horrible. Yeah. Like, how Kevin Costner loses that award to Steven Seagal. Like, that's just impossible. I'm sorry. Anyways. Okay. You convinced me. But I have one more. Okay. For the first time ever. We left ourselves open to the idea. <gasps> I'm just throwing it out there. Are you about to make an award? No, I'm not making an award. Mm. I'm putting him for consideration for a Sampa. <gasps> okay. Best chemistry. Wahlberg and Riley. Yes, they have really good chemistry. Their scenes are some of the highlights, especially in terms of Wahlberg's performance. Their chemistry is really good. Yes. I love that. <laughs> Thought I'd put it in there for that's you. That's very good. All right. Uh, that's all I have for Noms and Nuts. Yeah, me too. All right. Is cool. that it? <laughs> <laughs> Just those? Uh, oh, shit. Oh, I'm not ready for this part. All right, we're going to get into our favorite quotes. Uh, 
as uh, we've stated before, um, we have incorporated actual clips from the movie to uh, hopefully, I don't know, make it sound better? Make it really kind of get across the idea of the quote itself. Yeah. As great as we are as impressionists, it wasn't always coming across. Sometimes doing the impression made it fun. <laughs> Sometimes it made it cringy. Yeah. <laughs> but what thing, one thing I have heard, uh, I have gotten some feedback from some of the PFGs. They do enjoy having the auto clips in. I think it adds something to it. I really yeah. do. Uh, I think it really helps in the quotes where the delivery is part of the reason why we pick that quote. So uh, here we go. Um, for those of you unsure, um, we have decided to incorporate all of our quotes together in one compilation, and Sam and I will choose our favorite quote from the entire field. So while it has yet to happen, because it's only been one time, we could end up picking our favorite quote from ones that we didn't submit to the list ourselves. Mm -hmm. So here we go. Here are our nominations for favorite quote from Boogie Nights. Quote number one. No, hey, gotcha. You gotta go somewhere. So, hey, what the fuck? It's only the photography of the film we're talking about. Are you giving me shit, Kurt? No, hey, no way. With the... My fucking wife has an ass in her cock in the driveway, Kurt. All right? I'm sorry if my thoughts are not on the photography of the film we're shooting tomorrow. Okay? Okay. All right, quote number two. I am a star. I'm a star, I'm a star, I'm a star. I am a big, bright, shining star. And number three. It's all that stuff, you know? But, I mean, God, what can you expect when you're on top, you know? It's like Napoleon, when he was the king, you know, people were just constantly trying to conquer him, you know, in the Roman Empire. So it's re history repeating itself all over again. And our next nominee. I'm not a complicated man. I like cinema. In particular, I like to see people fucking on film. But I don't want to win an Oscar, and I don't want to reinvent a wheel. I like simple pleasures, like butter in my ass, lollipops in my mouth. That's just me. That's just something that I enjoy. Call me crazy, call me a pervert. But there's one little thing that I want to do in this life, and that is I want to make a dollar and a cent in this business. Our next nominee. Let's go get some of that Saturday Night Beaver. And our next nominee. Oh, what the fuck is this? I didn't do anything. I, I didn't. Is she breathing? I don't know. I, I think maybe she did too much coke. Oh, do you think so, Doctor? And our next nominee is this one. You got maybe 15, 20 guys down around just making sure that your lighting is right. But you can work out in the morning, you can work out at noon, you can work out at night. Doesn't matter. If you don't have those juices flowing down there in the Mr. Torpedo area, in the fun zone. But you got to get the people in the theater. You know, you need the big dicks, the big tits. Uh-oh, here we go. How do you keep them in the theater after they've come? With beauty? And with acting? No, I understand. <laughs> you got to get them in the theater. You know, you got to keep the seats full. But I don't want to make a film where they show up, they sit down, they jack off, and they get up and they get out before the story ends. It is my dream. It is my goal. It is my idea to make a film that the story just sucks them in. And when they 
burnout, that joy juice, they just gotta set in it. They can't move until they find out how the story ends. You know, I wanna make a film like that. And our next nominee. I got a feeling beneath those jeans is something wonderful just waiting to get out. And our final nominee. Dude, I love this. Like, I, I make these little uh, mixtapes together. You know, I put all my favorite songs together. Hey, Charles, what song is this? Number, uh, number 11. Yeah, I love it. You know, you know, you know when you buy a tape or something or, or an album, you, know, you put it on and, it, and the songs are like the fans put them in some fucking order. Like they want you to listen to it in that order. You know, I, I hate that. I fucking hate that. I don't like to be told what to listen to, when to listen to it, or anything. So, those are our nominees for favorite quote. Great bunch. Great bunch to pick from. Sam, what are you picking for favorite quote? Uh, As much as there were some great candidates in there, uh, for me, it's William H. Macy talking about uh, his wife having, quote, an ass in her cock in the driveway. (laughs) I really like that one as well. And I'll be honest, going into my, my pick, I actually wanted to pick... Uh, Rahad's speech about mixtapes because mm-hmm. I truly believe that about mixtapes but yeah I like to listen to an album front to back myself I love mixtapes yeah. I love making I think they both tapes. have their place I, I, I like mixtapes from time to time but uh, upon re-listening I really have to go with the Colonel Oh You Think So Doctor it, it makes me laugh it is the delivery I'm going to go with that one. Um, All right. Next up, we have our weak link of the film. Listen, I've defended him pretty pretty (laughs) bravely today. But, uh, yeah, it's probably Marky Mark. Okay. Yeah. It is for me as well. Uh, I did know going into my rewatch that this was my easy answer. I did say upon my rewatch that he impressed me more than I remembered. So I think he is the weak link of the film, but he's not as bad as I kind of make him out to be. I'm, I'm really softening my stance. But, uh, yeah, he is, in my opinion, he is easily the weakest part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are right, you ready for some trivia? Yeah. All right. After seeing a rough cut of the film, Burt Reynolds regretted making it. He fired his agent for recommending the role to him and did not participate in promotional interviews. Reynolds ended up winning a Golden Globe for the role and being nominated for an Academy Award for his performance. Despite being a frontrunner for the latter, it was widely rumored that he did not win because he had distanced himself from the movie earlier. At one point, an angry Burt Reynolds threw a punch at Paul Thomas Anderson because he felt the director was disrespecting him. The film's first assistant director, John Wildermuth, tells this story, quote, Burt got so frustrated, he he pulled Paul outside into the backyard and started yelling at him like a father, you know? You fucking little punk. Don't tell me what to do. End quote. Tom Lank added, quote, All of a sudden, we saw fists flying. We saw some fists flying from Burt Reynolds. I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, but it was like he was trying to punch our director in the face. End quote. Reynolds was also involved in a heated scuffle with Thomas Jane. 
In the DVD audio commentary, Anderson and Mark Wahlberg imply that Reynolds was on drugs during filming. Burt Reynolds had a strained rapport with director Paul Thomas Anderson during filming and disliked the finished product so much that he refused Anderson's offer to be in his next film. He disavowed the movie until his death and even sold off the Golden Globe that he won for it. Whoa. Yeah. That's, uh, that's an asshole right there. Yeah. Uh, Heather Graham didn't get any meaningful roles any meaningful roles for over a year after Boogie Nights was released and was seriously considering to accept a part in a softcore erotic movie. What saved her from a career in porn was an offer from Mike Myers to be in Austin Powers' The Spy Who Shagged Me. Graham has since refused to answer any questions about Boogie Nights or cooperate with a retrospective or a cast reunion. Oh, that's too bad. I'm sad she had a bad experience with it. Me too. Amber Wave's custodial problems were inspired by porn star Veronica Hart, who plays the judge during the scene in which Amber and her husband are arguing in court about their son. Ooh, that's close to home. Paul Thomas Anderson simulated the dialogue in the fake porn movies by adapting actual dialogue from real porn movies. He said he did it so people could not say the porn dialogue, quote, sounded fake. That's funny. The prosthetic prop used for Dirk's penis was kept by Mark Wahlberg as a souvenir from the film. It was made from an easy, easily biodegradable rubber and foam combination, which, according to Wahlberg, has since begun to deteriorate. Oh, too bad. When he appeared on Inside the Actors Studio, William H. Macy recalled that at the rap party, Nina Hartley, who played his character's wife and who is a real-life porn star, gave all the, cast, all the cast gifts from her own porn films. Macy's present was a copy of Nina Hartley's Guide to Anal Sex. That's very sweet. <laughs> According to William H. Macy, the scene in which Dirk Diggler wins the Golden Phallus Award was filmed with about 100 extras who had shown up in their own 1970s clothes. They weren't told what kind of movie they were in, only that it featured Burt Reynolds. The crowd was told to applaud after Melora Walters announced Diggler as the winner. However, Walters then added the line, I can't wait to have his big cock in my pussy and my ass, which was met with stunned silence. About half the extras got up and left the set never to return. Gathering a new group of extras in period clothing caused substantial delays, so when filming finally resumed, director Paul Thomas Anderson carefully explained the scene to the new crowd so that they knew what they were in for. Ironically, Walters is using a much more subdued line in the finished movie. Yeah, that's funny. In the long, continuous shot where Little Bill talks with Kurt Longjohn, Macy flubbed his line by saying, my fucking wife has an ass in her cock in the driveway. Since Macy's character was supposed to be distraught in the scene, it felt like an honest mistake and was kept in the movie. Yeah, which is so fucking great. It, it honestly reads like that perfectly. It's yeah. great. After having a very difficult time getting his previous film, Hard 8, released, Paul Thomas Anderson laid down a hard law when getting this film made. He initially wanted the film to be over three hours long and be rated NC-17. The film's producer, particularly Michael DeLuca, said that the film had to be either under three hours or rated R. Anderson fought with them, saying that the film would not have a mainstream appeal no matter what. They did not change their minds, and Anderson chose the R rating as a challenge. Despite this, the film was still 20 minutes shorter than promised. Huh. New Line Cinema was so worried about how the film would be received by audience that CEO Bob Shea personally oversaw a different cut of the film to be used for test screenings. Paul Thomas Anderson was so upset by this that he decided to sabotage the screenings. Just before the audience was scheduled to enter the theater, Anderson would walk past them and pretend that he had just seen an earlier screening of this studio cut. He would shake his head and loudly proclaim, This movie sucks! You're gonna hate it! In the end, Shay's cut received lower scores than Anderson's cut and was discarded. Ha! Love it. 
Barry Sonnenfeld became depressed when he heard this movie was being made because he had always wanted to direct a movie based on his early career as a cinematographer of porn films. Oh, man. Specifically about how he had shot nine feature-length porn films in nine days. <sighs> that does make me sad. That's a good movie. That's a good... I'm, honestly, he, Barry Sonnenfeld's still alive, isn't he? Yep. Yeah. Fucking make it. You bet. At the end of the film, T.T. Rodriguez and his brother's sign uh, for the nightclub is misspelled as Rodriguez with a Q. The joke wasn't planned in advance. Paul Thomas Anderson misspelled Rodriguez in the screenplay and decided to make the scene funny. <laughs> That's good. Some casting what-ifs. Jack Black was considered for Scotty J. I actually, I actually like that casting. Not yeah. because I think Jack Black's as talented an actor as Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, but something about that uh, fits, I think. I agree. Uh, while Paul Thomas Anderson intended to cast Melora Walters as Jesse St. Vincent, uh, St. Vincent, the studio wanted a bigger name for the part. He offered the role to Patricia Arquette, knowing she would decline, and the role ultimately went to Walters. Hmm. Funny. Gwyneth Paltrow was offered the role of Roller Girl, but turned it down. Yeah. It's for the better. Hmm. John Turturro turned down the role of Rahad Jackson. Wow. He would have been really good, I think. Yes, he would I have agree. captured that really frantic energy. But honestly, I love Alfred Molina's performance in that Me scene. Me too. Sean Penn was considered for the role of Rahad Jackson. Yeah, also would have been good. Yep. Albert Brooks, Harvey Keitel, Bill Murray, and Jack Nicholson turned down the role of Jack Horner. Albert Brooks and Harvey Keitel... I really like. I'm sure. I'm sure Jack Nicholson would have done great I too. Think Jack Nicholson. I think Bill Murray is a weird is a weird casting. Personally, he doesn't have that warmth. Yeah, he doesn't have like a hard edge to him. He doesn't give that family feel. Yeah. That that Bert, Jack Nicholson that role would be fucking unreal though. Mm -hmm. Marissa Tomei was offered the role of Amber Waves. Yeah, I've been okay with that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Uh, Burt Reynolds hated the idea of a movie promoting the porn industry and turned down the Jack Horner role seven times. He also felt like he was selling out and letting his old fans down. After angrily telling Paul Thomas Anderson the last time offered he wasn't interested and to leave him alone, Anderson told him if he could carry that attitude with him to the role, he would be nominated for an Oscar. He subsequently chose to do the film after his agent pushed him to because he hadn't had a decent offer in a long time. He later was nominated for Best Actor in a Supporting Role. Asshole refuses role, gets promised Oscar nomination, gets one, quits. <laughs> <laughs> and refuses to acknowledge the film. Yeah. Wonder why he didn't get any good roles. That's a head scratcher. Electric Light Orchestra leader Jeff Lynn originally refused to let the song Livin' Thing be used in the film because he has a problem with sex and violence in movies. Lynn asked to see a screening of the film and loved it so much that he allowed the song to be used. Nice. Good for him. Warren Beatty was offered the role of Jack Horner. I like him less than the others that we had listed. I like him in that role. Yeah. And Sidney Pollock was offered the role of Jack Horner. Hmm. Uh, Pollock attended the film's premiere and expressed regret for turning the role down. I bet. Jason Lee turned down the role of Dirk Diggler. Whoa. When did he... What even put Jason Lee on the map? Mallrats. Yeah. That makes sense. And that's 95? Yeah. Samuel L. Jackson was offered the role of Buck Swope. And he would have been awesome. Yeah. Different energy for that character. For sure. Yeah. Joaquin Phoenix was offered the role of Eddie Adams, but turned it down due to concerns about playing a porn star. 
Yeah. I mean, he would have been good with it for sure. Here's some big ones. Christian Bale, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, and Ethan Hawke were all considered for the role of Dirk Diggler. I think Matt Damon would have been fantastic, obviously. I agree. He had bigger fish to fry this year. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. And here's the big one. This was Paul Thomas Anderson's first choice. He originally offered the role of Eddie Adams, Dirk Diggler, to Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, yeah. like That would have been been perfect. He liked the screenplay but turned it down because he had already signed on to do... Titanic. Titanic. DiCaprio suggested Mark Wahlberg for the role. Nice. Yeah. All right. Closing credits. Would you watch this movie again? Yeah, I would. Same here. Would you recommend this movie to friends? I would. I would to almost every single one of them except for one. Hmm. I have a friend that does not like sex and violence. Oh. Yeah. I I told him today. I'm like, you can't watch this movie. Yeah. It's a masterpiece. Don't watch it. (laughs) It's a masterpiece. You'll fucking hate it. Yes. Uh, MVP of the film? Uh, hold on a sec. There's too many good performances for me to pick one, so I'm going to go Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, it's PTA. Yeah. <laughs> Recommend a good double feature with this film. This one was pretty easy for me. Same here. Um, I, it, the reason that I wanted to actually rewatch this film, other than it being picked for the podcast, um, was that I recently rewatched Babylon, and those two films... Play off each other very well. The, one of the first thing, uh, if you read my initial review for Babylon, I think when I first watched it back in February of this year, I think I said, "This is Boogie Nights meets Wolf of Wall Street." And uh, yeah, I very much <laughs> now in retrospect, Wolf of Wall Street is just a rehashing of Goodfellas, which Boogie Nights also kind of is. So yeah, they're they're very closely related in that vein. But I think I think Babylon would be a great great movie about. Um, is that six hours of film? Yeah. <laughs> six amazing hours god damn um but yeah it's just two movies about creators at the top of their game who think they're gods who are living the life of who are living the life of gods who uh who experience a tumble mine is goodfellas yeah goodfellas is a good one for sure so what order are you watching them in what order are you presenting them in babylon first or uh or boogie nights first Boogie Nights first. Same. Yeah. For me, for, I agree with your pick. Yeah. And I'm doing it. But it's Boogie Nights, Goodfellas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what would be this film's legacy? Um, I, does this film have... I mean, it's... What legacy does it have? A, a great movie about the porn industry? Um, I think it has three. Okay. Three things of legacy. Number one, this is PTA's arrival. Yep. Hard Eight was well regarded but it didn't announce his presence this announced his presence yeah pt uh p- after this film everyone was talking about pta the way they were talking about quentin yeah two this is the movie that sadly launched mark Wahlberg. <laughs> he'd already done a couple films and he'd done okay this showed that he is capable of acting in my opinion not so much but i'm i, I am in the minority i understand that hmm. everyone else saw something from here on, going forward from here, he's in. He it just launches him yeah. big time. The third one, and while it's not a lasting legacy, it was a legacy for quite a few years. It is the fucking cock shot at the end. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, everyone talked for a long time about that dick. <laughs> long time. Uh, did you learn anything from this movie? 
ambition leads to fame just as easily as arrogance leads to downfall. But having a big dick helps. <laughs> Fantastic. This is honestly, this movie just reinforced. When this movie came out, I was 21. But it just reinforced something I'd been feeling for years. Drugs are bad. Yeah. <laughs> Truly. There was another movie that you said uh, really. It's Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon. Yeah. yeah lethal Weapon. Yeah. <laughs> funny all right uh your final thoughts on boogie nights man this uh, i had such a good time with this movie uh round again i was i was looking forward to this rewatch after having seen babylon um something about watching films about artists even if it is smut that they're making you know even if it is uh even if it is just pornography watching people uh create and uh achieve stardom uh in their craft uh is just a genre of movie that i've continued to enjoy um this is a a masterpiece basically top to bottom from paul thomas anderson uh it speaks to me and i don't know the 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 arc of the roller coaster of us achieving fame and then downfall and then redemption is just such a a universal uh i don't know such a universal arc for them to take um i don't know i I really like the structure of this movie i really like uh, i do not feel the length of the movie at all um and (laughs) the script is hilarious um all the smaller performances like philip seymour hoffman uh are all fucking excellent um i could heap more and more praise on this movie but i'll uh, i'll leave it there and just say there's if the weak part in this movie is Mark Wahlberg performance, which is what we said it was, um, as far as I'm concerned, you've got a great movie on your hands because everything else is just spectacular. I just basically echo everything you say. Mm-hmm. Every single person in this movie is absolutely spectacular, save one, and that person is just fine. The Every technical aspect of this film is working at another level, and sadly, it just runs into a very strong year and runs into one of the most technically well-made movies uh, and a cultural phenomenon ends up becoming the highest grossing film of all time is still what second third all time yeah so sadly this comes out the same year as titanic that being said this movie has just grown in estimation and in respect as years have gone by this is arguably paul thomas anderson's best film it's it's this or there will be blood, in my opinion, for most most people. Some people do argue The Master is actually his best film. <laughs> Those people are we, crazy. We disagree uh, viciously on that. There is very little to dislike or to not admire about this film. While it is plainly obvious that he is heavily influenced by the film God, Goodfellas, that does not mean... <laughs> That hey, this, if there's a film to be influenced by. Yeah, it is a spectacular film. It is absolutely mind-blowing that he is 26 years old when he makes this movie. Oh, God. Yeah. I'm already older than Paul Thomas Anderson was when he directed this movie. Yeah. That's disgusting. It is an absolutely incredible film that I am very interested in seeing where it ends up on my list this time around. Um, Just on the... Uh, all-time gross note <clears throat> titanic's currently number four do you know three movies above it well it'll be avatar avatar 2 and endgame yeah 
Uh, so those are the three above it. Just to James give you... Cameron has three of the. <clears throat> I know it's fucking it's fucking crazy. Um, just just to give you an idea. Yeah, the man never needs another dollar ever again. But he's gonna get it because Avatar three and four are coming. Um, just to give you an idea. Um, so Avatar, uh, Avatar two and Endgame came out in uh 2009, 2022, and 2019 respectively. Um, and then you have Titanic in 1997. The next film on the all-time gross list that came out before Titanic. Do you know what it is? So the highest grossing film that came out before Titanic? Before Titanic, Titanic, yes. Jurassic Park. Correct. Care to take a guess where it is on the list? 22nd. 34th. Yeah. So that just goes to show how much it surpassed the film that came before it. Jurassic Park was the all-time... all-time leader for four years for four years and then titanic blew it out of the fucking water for 22 years yeah no because avatar took over first sorry correct yeah so 12 years yeah still right 2009 is that right yeah, that's right all right time to put your money where your mouth is what are you giving this film <sighs> i don't know <laughs> um you know what yeah, I had too great of a time. The film's too well constructed. I-, I have to give it a five, man. It's it's damn near a perfect movie. And insofar as it has flaws, they're not really flaws that bother me. I just have way too good of a time and uh, I'm in awe of the construction of this movie. I'm with you. I I actually went into this movie, I think I already given it a five before, but I was like, is it really a five? And then after watching, I'm like, oh my God, this is a five. Like, yeah. this movie is so incredibly rewatchable. There's so many great parts. The parts that don't work for me, it's the lead actor, and even with him not being what I think, I think the lead actor is the weakest part of this movie, but everyone else is so fucking strong, he just, I hate it. It's not that they carry him, they make up the deficit, for sure. in my opinion. I really need to start, I need to stop harping on Mark Wahlberg, because he's not as bad as I remember, but I, th- I think it's just because when I watch this, everyone else is so fucking good. Um... Yeah, it's an easy five. We have a new member of the Sam Pantheon. Yes, we do. Number thirty-six, something like that. Thirty-six. Let me add it in here. We should both go back and rate Clerks five out of five, so that it can be number thirty-seven. Oh, <laughs> I think I did. You must have given it a five. I'm not, I'm not giving it a five. I'm sorry. Way to break my heart. <laughs> yeah. All right. We got uh, what's next week, buddy? Manny, what was the name of the movie that uh, was highest grossing before Titanic again? Uh, Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. I liked that movie. That was pretty good. It was. I think I. I think I want another. You want another one? I think I want another one. Do you have anything for me in that regard? I do. I have the Lost World, Jurassic Park. The Lost World, colon Jurassic Park. Yeah. Next week, episode two hundred seventy-six. Mm-hmm. What we're gonna be talking about? Mm-hmm. So. Two Spielberg films this year. Uh huh. The last time he did this was Schindler's List and Jurassic Park. Yeah, it's probably gonna be just as good, right? This year <laughs> he's got The Last World, Jurassic Park, and Amistad. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited. What is The Last World, Jurassic Park about? Yeah, I haven't seen uh, Lost World, Jurassic Park. So if I'm to predict the plot, I would say we are uh, going back to. Probably not the island. Okay. Probably not the island. I'm going to, since it's called the lost world. Okay. I'm going to say we're probably going to a different island. Okay. So another island. 
there's there's a second island. Ooh, a second island. Yeah, it's the, okay. we're getting the contact treatment. Uh, they're just even though the first one's <laughs> ruined, don't worry. There's a second one. If you can believe it, there we spared no expense. They spared they spared no expense okay. exactly, right. except for the expenses that they spared for the second island, which is where we're going for the for the other movie. Okay, second island. Second island. Um, how are the stakes different? Okay. Um, um, are there any returning cast members? Uh, I actually don't. I want to say, hold on. So who do we have? Uh, in the initial, we have Sam Neill. We have Jeff Goldblum. Uh, Laura Dern. Laura Dern. Yeah. I am going to say it was a big deal that Sam Neill and Laura Dern uh, returned for Jurassic World this year. So I'm going to say they are not in The Lost World, but okay. Jeff Goldblum is. Okay. Jeff Goldblum That's my is. guess. Jeff Goldblum is. I do not know this for a fact. Okay. Jeff Goldblum is and Second Island. Mm-hmm. And what's the reason that they go to the Second Island if there is a Second Island? Well, the same reason they opened the first one, man. It's for money. It's okay. for it's for ca- the glorious, glorious capitalism. Okay, going there yeah. for for capitalism. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, Jeff Goldblum obviously saw firsthand what happened in the first one, so he's not amped about it. Okay. Um. Maybe he's going for hopes. Uh. To to maybe he hopes to exterminate. Uh. Oh. Maybe, maybe maybe the dinosaurs spread to the second island. Okay, this is what it is. Okay. Dinosaurs spread to the second island. Jeff Goldblum is hired to consult to hopefully eliminate the remain the remainder of them. Um, but, uh, our businessman who survived the first movie, like, he realizes that part of his, um, uh, part of his investment is still viable. Okay. So we try to fire up the second island. Let's go. So we're going to the second island to commit dinocide. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Okay. Dinocide. <laughs> right. Could be the name of like a punk rock band or something. All right. That's cool. That's, uh, sounds like a solid movie. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, the way you said that made me think it's not the movie we get. Okay, yeah, that's that's the plot. Right Let's there. see if that's the movie we get. Okay, next week. All right, on the Lost World, Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park Two, Dinoside. <laughs> <laughs> and all the letters are in flames and stuff. Awesome. It's cool. All right. Uh, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. We would love it if we could get some more listeners. So when you give us that rating, it does increase our profile, allows more people to find us, which we greatly appreciate. You can also give us a rating on Spotify, which I'm sure helps us somehow, but I don't know how because I don't know how their algorithm works. You can also follow us on Instagram and threads at Sam underscore Manning underscore movie. You can email us as Francis did at Sam Manning movie podcast. That was last episode. It was. <laughs> at gmail.com you can follow us on letterboxd at manny42 and sam reimer respectively if you're not on letterboxd and you're a movie fan you're doing yourself a disservice you need to get on that as soon as possible it is easily my favorite app on my phone so for the and for my partner chest rockwell i'm brock landers adios love you, but long as there are stars above you, you never need to doubt it, I'll make you so sure about it, God only knows what I'd be without you, if you should ever leave me, will life will still